0: The Bible Study Podcast, Episode 79. Today, the Bible Study Podcast starts a study of the book of 1 Timothy. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I wanted to do a study of First and Second Timothy and Titus, which are letters from Paul to particular individuals. Most of the letters in the New Testament are letters to churches, and they deal with issues of pastoral responsibility, of being a pastor, and that seemed like a good follow-on to the study on leadership. And so let's jump right into First Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy was not just a traveling companion of Paul's, but he really did see him as his spiritual son. Paul, so far as we know, was not married, because he says that in one of his letters, and so far as we know, had no kids. And so he looks at Timothy with a special relationship, a very fondness for the younger man. And then in verse 3, Paul jumps right into the meat of the letter. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So, Paul, as he went off to further ministry, left Timothy in Ephesus, and he left him there particularly because he trusted Timothy to do a good job of teaching the gospel. And when he says teaching the gospel, he's really concerned with some things here that, one is there's some false teaching that he's had some problems with, and he doesn't give us details in this particular part what that was. But then he also has myths and endless genealogies, controversies. So people have been devoting themselves, some of the teachers, to things that are unimportant, I think about this as I do ministry in Juvenile Hall at the Correctional Institute Chaplaincy. We deal with people who we may only have one or two or three Bible studies with. And so there's always someone new in the Bible study. And I find myself continuing to go back to the basics. And continue to say, well, if somebody's only with me for one time, it's important that they understand that God loves them and that he cares more about their future than their past. That God can bring grace and mercy into this relationship and desires to restore relationships. So whoever Timothy is dealing with here, they've lost sight of that. And they're getting into things that don't matter. Endless genealogies, myths, promoting controversies, things that are unimportant. There are numerous churches that have split in this country over the discussion of when Jesus is coming back, before the tribulation, in the middle of it, or at the end of it. I would lump that into one of these things that is unimportant. Unimportant and is leading to controversies. Now, obviously, some people are going to disagree with me, but there are core things in the gospel in terms of what Christ did, and then there are other things that are not so much so. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God who is entrusted to me. This sounds to me like fire and brimstone preaching. This sounds like we're talking about the law being for those sinners, not for us, but for those sinners. So it's interesting to see where this rest of this chapter is going to go because it's going to take a little different turn here. But he's talking about all sorts of not religious people, all sorts of people who are not righteous. It's One interesting thing that I do see in this one is Despite the fact that in the 1800s, people used portions of the Bible to support slavery as being something that was somehow good, Paul specifically lumps in slave traders in with liars, perjurers, murders, adulteries, and perverts. So his opinion, not so high. Then Paul goes on to say, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So this is where this chapter takes a little different turn because Paul is saying sinners and then me. He's saying sinners and then he's understanding that He is standing where he is by grace. That God has been faithful to him, that God has been merciful to him, even though he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. And he goes on to say, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. This is very different from. Fire and brimstone preaching that's talking about them, those sinners. This is something that says, I think one of the reasons why God has shown his mercy to me is that God sent Christ in this world to save sinners, most of all, me. He says, Of himself, I am the worst. And he says there's a point to this. There's a reason why God would save someone who is the worst sinner, the worst example, someone who actively persecuted the Christians and killed them. He says because with that, God shows us his character. God sh- displays his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him. We run into this when I teach a Bible study, and I said before that I'm in the lockdown unit of Juvenile Hall. And so when somebody asks me the question, can God even forgive a murderer? That may not be a rhetorical question. I have certainly had people in the Bible study who were murderers. Well, Paul was too. And he was specifically a murderer of people who believed in Jesus. And he's saying, Don't you see, if God can forgive me, he can forgive you. And it's been very powerful at times when I'm in the midst of a Bible study, and we're studying Galatians, Corinthians, Colossians, one of those books, and somebody asks this question, Well, do you think God can even forgive a murderer? And I say, What kind of person do you think it is who would write the Bible? And they usually would guess a religious person, somebody good. And I say, the book you've been reading, the book we've been studying, was written by somebody who was a murderer, and he was a murderer of people who believed in Jesus. And the jaws drop and the eyes open wide. And that's what Paul is saying is God's intention, Now, but part of the problem there is that we as the church want to put on this face of we're the good people. We had a speaker when I was back in college, a man by the name of Grady Spires, who spoke at a retreat, and I remember one of his illustrations really well. He had gone to the Caribbean and had brought back two conch shells, and in the shipping, in the luggage, one of them had been broken into many pieces, and the other one had survived intact. And he painstakingly took the one that was broken in pieces and glued it back together. And he said, wouldn't you know, the one that he had more fun showing off, the one that he took more joy in, was this broken one. Because he would show people this conch shell and say how do you like the conch shell I brought back? And they'd say, that's really nice. And he would turned it over, and you could see there were missing bits. There was excess glue and such. And he said, look, it was broken, and I put it back together. There's a calling for us, like Paul, to be honest, to be open that what you see, if you see good, is the result of God's work that he has put me back together. And to not be hiding the fact that we are not perfect. Everyone knows it. But to be honest about who we are and who God is in relationship to that. And then Paul concludes this chapter with, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have heard, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. We don't know what prophecies were made about Timothy, but clearly there was an intention that Timothy would be a servant of God. There were prophecies apparently to that fashion, and this is one of the places where. Paul uses one of the phrases, fight the good fight, fight the good fight, run the good race, that he might finish what it is that he has set out to do, holding on to faith and a good conscience. And then he uses this interesting phrase, some have shipwrecked their faith. How do you shipwreck a ship? Usually, it involves going someplace you shouldn't go, so going someplace that's not deep enough, or it involves storms and calamities. We don't know what it is that happened to some of these people, especially the two he mentions, whose names I won't try and pronounce again. But something has shipwrecked their faith. They've run aground. And of course, the phrase handed over to Satan seems a very, very, very harsh phrase. But we have to put it in the context that he's looking for these people to be taught, he's looking for them to learn. And so, partly, I think what he's praying at this point is that God will allow them the results of their sin so that they will learn from it, so that they will repent, which is the higher good. With that, we'll bring this episode of the Bible Study Podcast to a close. If you have any questions, feel free to comment on the Bible Study or send me an email at host at the Bible Study And as always, thanks so much for listening. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free Story Behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.